the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here. And I'm live for another episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast. And today I have my dear friend, special guest, live from New Jersey, the latest state to legalize adult use cannabis, Ms. Shirali Patel, who is an attorney at Corella Byrne. And prior to that, uh, worked for the state of New Jersey in a variety of capacities and has been a dedicated cannabis advocate for many years now. And I'm excited to have you here. And congratulations on New Jersey going yes. legal. And if you don't mind, can you just do a, an intro, a more in-depth intro of yourself for the folks watching at home? Well, first of all, thank you, Mike, because you're one of the first uh, industry folks that I met on the East Coast when I first started my journey in cannabis. So I'm just blessed and humbled to actually even be here with you today because I never I never anticipated that years ago. Um, but like you mentioned, I started off my career working for government. So I graduated for law school. I worked for people that are familiar with New Jersey, the county of Passaic. I worked for the city of Hoboken right across the you know bridge. Uh, and then recently I worked for the county of Bergen. So I was an attorney for in, in all three of those capacities. I was also the prosecutor at the city of Hoboken, which was an interesting experience. Um, and then more recently in the past year, I've been with Corella Byrne. So I'm part of their class action firm. We handle a lot of litigation in federal court. Uh, the opioids case is one of them, the, all the diesel emissions cases. I'm sure some people have seen the news recently with Mercedes. So that was one of the cases, uh, Takata airbag. So really busy, uh, definitely more so in COVID era. Um, but you know, that's my, day-to-day -day professional life as an attorney, as a human being. I'm an advocate for cannabis. I love the plant. And, you know, I just really, I knew that there was going to be a time where I had to start following my passion. Uh, you know, I love the law. I love learning and absorbing and the people and just the, the volume of what we do. But I, I have a genuine love for the plant. And I think that's kind of where I see myself moving into in the future. But for now, you know, I put in an application as the president of a vertically integrated company last year in New Jersey's medical round for applications. But we're still waiting. I'm sure people know things are on hold for that entire round in New Jersey, um, but we'll see where, you know, things happen. For now though, I'm just beyond excited. I don't even know if I can like contain it, but New Jersey's finally legal. I, I didn't think it would happen. I, I thought this was a pipe dream like 11 years ago, like me and my friends would like laugh and like wonder would this, will this ever happen? So to be here the day after legalization speaking to you about cannabis is just pretty amazing. Yeah, indeed. It's, it's surreal and it's only the beginning. You know, now it's like we did all this years of work to get to this point And now it's like, you know, a big win, a big milestone, but far from the finish line. And yeah, so I'm curious, how or why did you decide to get into the industry? Was there a moment when it all clicked for you that you decided, hey, this is something I need to pursue professionally? 
yeah, I think definitely um, it turned from general just curiosity and, you know, love and understanding of the plant to seeing people that I loved who were, um, whether they were addicted to heroin or opioids, other pharmaceuticals, Xanax, and seeing how they were struggling with their addictions, struggling to withdraw, to, to you know, be productive in society. And then I saw how cannabis helped them not only wean off of the hardcore stuff, but keep them off of it, keep them sane, help them, um, you know, and so that was one aspect of it. Just around 2013 to 2016, definitely when the whole epidemic craze was happening is when I really saw something there that, listen, this plant is actually providing value. Um, and then at the same time, I had loved ones who were battling cancer and I had to, I was frustrated because I was going to the, to the doctors, the oncologists and asking, you know, can my aunt or uncle be eligible for a prescription for medical cannabis to help with the side effects of chemo? And I had oncologists laugh in my face and tell me, you know, we don't believe in it and we don't prescribe it. And we haven't done that for 30 years. I've been in, uh, a doctor in New Jersey. And so they were okay with me going to another state like DC, for example, you know, where there is a somewhat legal market, but still underground. And so I found myself buying oils and, you know, transdermal pain patches and all these things for my aunt here who's battling cancer and wondering, like, there's a disconnect here. Like, she's a patient. New Jersey has a medical program, yet these doctors are not pro-cannabis. Um, there was just like a lack of education. You know, people weren't talking about like the right points. And I just felt like I had to take my passion and actually turn it into action. Um, so I just started educating myself. I started reading. I started watching videos. I went out to Colorado. I made friends with people out there, started advising for a company out there who's vertically integrated in adult use came to New York, met people like you, um, Mona Zhang, who's with Politico now, just amazing people in the industry who are willing to share their, you know, expertise and experience and taking all that together. And then I started to see like the legal market come to fruition and it looked nothing like somebody like me. And it didn't look like anybody actually had real street experience. Um, so I'm not going to get into that because I am an attorney, but I just felt someone like me who um, stereotypically you wouldn't assume is, you know, whether an advocate or a consumer um, coming with the street background. I went to school in Newark. I lived there for four years and I, I understand what the illicit market looks like. I felt like people like me need to be involved. We need to participate and we need our voices to be heard. And so I thought, you know, enough of being on the sidelines. I have enough knowledge now. I felt like I made the right contacts. And then fast forward to last year, finally applying for that license. Uh, that was that was the epiphany for me that now I feel credible and you know I, I am valuable. It took a while to get to that moment. Got it. So like so many people, it sounds like really the impetus for getting involved was when it affected a loved one, a family member, and you know it really became personal. I've heard so many of these stories of how people get started, and it often it takes for you know, something like that to happen where you get to see firsthand how ridiculous the system is. And to your point, like, you know, it's medically legal in New Jersey and has been for a few years, but the medical community hasn't really embraced it, right. isn't well-educated about how to integrate it into, you know, people's treatment plans. And it just goes to show that there's still very much a long ways to go and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the party pooper today, 
which is, you know, even though all these states just legalized adult use, which is fantastic, the work is far from over. And the education that's needed to really maximize the power of cannabis for healing and for good, you know, there, there's still plenty of work to be done. And I have to take a moment to shout out Solo Ray Solo, who brought a bunch of viewers and rated our our stream here and awesome. Thank you. Yeah, brought some folks to and they're loving the conversation. They're we, we got some some advocates, some medical patients, and 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 people are people are enjoying hearing your story. So um I wanna ask you about the the process of applying for that New Jersey license, which you know, just to provide some context for the viewers or listeners, you know, New Jersey, was that last summer or two summers ago now? Was it last summer? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, they did a round of six more licenses, if I'm not mistaken. That was actually in 2018. They 2018. Were, that so was two years ago. Um, and then last year they were, it was for four vertically integrated licenses, 15 dispensary, and then four, I believe, cultivation. There was none for manufacturing. Right. And those licenses still haven't been awarded. They're still mostly tied up in litigation, as I understand. Right. So there was like, I think a total of like 190 teams that applied. 51 were disqualified for various different reasons. And of those that were disqualified, there was, I believe, six, six teams that filed lawsuits claiming that the, um, the state PDF, the, the Adobe program actually had an error and that the PDF files that they submitted were accurate, but they were rendered corrupt because of the state's Adobe. I, I, I mean, it, I don't know, you know, I'm not gonna go one way or another. I'm frustrated because I've been waiting for a year, but not for myself. I'm more frustrated for those people who actually fundraise their own money, who, you know, did everything they could to apply for a license, who didn't think they'd have to wait a whole year before they could find out. And so people lost, you know, property, people lost money. I mean, it's, it's a waiting game. And at the end of the day, the patients are not winning, right? So right. now we have the market demand that's expanding, especially when you add um, anxiety and migraines to qualifying medical conditions now. Who doesn't have anxiety, right? So now our patients are going up, but we can't meet the demand. The RFAs, the application round is still on hold. So like you said, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do. And, and the, the future is in the medicinal. So it's kind of like, we need to invest in the research. We need to invest in the patients um, before we can see this whole adult use even, you know, come to life. Absolutely. And it's, it's terrible because the trends that I've seen in pretty much every market that goes adult use is the patients are often the first people to get left behind and forgotten when, first of all, they, they're, they should be the focus. They need it the most, Right. right? And they're the reason that legalization even moved forward to begin with, Absolutely. but, but often they get squeezed out. And then, you know, beyond that, the other thing that, that I, I believe, and I'm sure you'll agree really needs to happen is, you know, what about all the folks with, with, uh, offenses, minor, minor drug offenses, people who are still incarcerated, people who are still dealing with the collateral consequences of the war on drugs, which, you know, New Jersey was certainly an arrest capital. You know, what's going to happen to all those people? Yeah, no, and that's the thing. That's why, like, it's great to celebrate. I'm definitely happy, you know, the voters passed the referendum. 
but now it's like we have to actually decriminalize cannabis, right? So it's not like we can go outside and toke up and people are going to get out of jail or have automatic expungements. There's still work that has to be done. Um, and that's with the legislature. They need to hopefully enact swift guidelines um, to deal with low-level minor offenses. I'm hopeful at least that our attorney general, um, Rabir Garwal, he's very, um, he's been great ever since he came into the office. You know, he's he started the Helping Hands Initiative with opioids and, and combating that epidemic. And he's been pro-cannabis as well, as far as his enforcement's been. So I think we would probably, the first thing that's probably gonna happen is the AG is gonna issue guidelines on how law enforcement and prosecutors can um, deal with these offenses moving forward and until we get the actual legislation done for decriminalizing cannabis. Just because we voted doesn't mean it's in effect. Things need to happen behind the scenes. And so at least once we get the AG directive, they can have more discretion. The prosecutors already have discretion, but maybe now law enforcement will be provided that similar discretion. Um, so at least we can prevent the arrests that have been happening because I think it's pretty clear, you know, the bias that happens when we're talking about arrest for consumption and possession. Um, it's pretty, it's outweighed. The facts speak for themselves. So I don't have to, you know, dwell on that, but I'm hopeful that we can just see some swift action take place because I, my concern is people aren't educated on what really happened. You know, might, someone might read the headlines, for example, and just see, oh, New Jersey legalized it. Well, I guess I can go outside now and I can, you know, do this and that. And, and then God knows they might get arrested still. So we're in that waiting period right now. Right. And, you know, that's, that's a great point. I, one I want to echo about you have to go deeper than the headlines. Because if you read the headlines, it makes it sound like, oh, cannabis is legal. It's a done deal. Everything is great. Let's, let's print tax money for the government. But the, the truth of it is, you know, I'm not going to get too political and philosophical you know, in my, my opinion is far from legal. You still need a license to buy it or right. to sell it. You still, you know, it, there's still all these limits. And so, and, and to your point, it's not decriminalized there yet. Right. So, you know, I, I, I encourage anyone who might be new to, to the cannabis world or to cannabis business or, or even if you aren't and you you have a relationship with the plant, but you haven't, you know, don't, don't just look at the headlines and think it's all, it's all good. And that you can pass a joint to, to the state trooper or whatever and, and be okay. Cause likely that's not the point, not the case. Uh, Shrali, I want to ask you for just some quick, um, facts, figures, or data about the New Jersey market. You know, I know that it's the second largest medical market in the country. I know it's going to be one of the biggest adult use markets, but, you know, maybe you could share some more precise data with our viewers. Yeah. So, I mean, demographic wise, you know, we're, I think New Jersey is probably one of the most diverse states as well. Um, which I think helps. Um, we're also right underneath New York. And so I think we're going to see a lot of tourism happening, a lot of traffic, you know, between both states. But in general, like you mentioned about the medical market, I think we're right. We're about, we're over 90,000 patients right now, um, which isn't that much, but we're going to see it expanding once we get the licenses up and running. And then adult use is expected to generate 
you know, X amount of millions in revenue. I like to compare New Jersey only like specifically to Colorado solely based on the fact that a lot of senators and assemblymen and women from here went out to Colorado to kind of view their, their model and they drafted the legislation kind of loosely based off of one, on what Colorado's done. So we've seen the numbers already, you know, in Colorado, how much they've seen, I don't know, maybe over two, $300 million in tax revenue. I think New Jersey is going to see like right under a billion possibly um, when we do have a full blown adult use and medical market. I don't think it's unrealistic to think that we're going to be seven to eight to $900 million in tax revenues. Um, I just, I feel like there's so much potential because even if there is a domino effect, like so now that New Jersey did it and we might see the neighboring states, PA and you know, New York and Connecticut, that takes time. Like we know, you don't right. just write the bills. So if we, have a, we have a head start. And so I just feel like the numbers, I don't, I'm an attorney for a reason, I suck at numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wanna give like estimates out there, but I, I, I know that this is big money. This is like the Willy Wonka's like, you know, chocolate factory ticket here in New Jersey. <laughs> it's it's just it's jersey it's a large population there's a lot of wealth i mean i worked for bergen county it's one of the top five richest counties in america right so it's a lot of concentrated wealth in pockets of new jersey and and we have a lot of consumers i mean we the polls were showing almost 70 percent of new jerseys were in favor of legalizing it so i know there's a high consumption rate we definitely have the patient count and so i just think it's like a it's a definitely we are the garden state. Now we're probably going to really be the garden state. That's right. There's going to be some, some special plants in the garden now. Um, you know, I'm having a stoner brain fart moment because I completely forgot I was going to respond to something you said and it's gone. Um, so, you know, it'll come back. These things happen. Not the first time, certainly not the last time either. Uh, let me ask you this. What are you most excited about as far as New Jersey legalization? What do you think that New Jersey has really gotten right? Okay, well, for one, they let the voters decide <laughs> because I think the state, let the legislature realized after years of arguing over you know, proposed bills and legislation that it was better to just leave it to the people because we've seen traditionally and, his, and, and what happened last night, when you leave it up to the citizens to vote, to legalize, you typically get it passed. So that was step one, correct. Step two is um, they're not starting from scratch with the regulations. They've had prior bills. Um, S2703 in the Senate was introduced, for example. So they have a framework as to what they're going to do in the future. But the, I think they're also forming a cannabis regulatory commission. So more people, more opinions, more ideas that are going to get, you know, added into shaping this industry. And so I think that's a good thing. The, the, the politicians in the state have had an open door policy. And so what that means is they're actually open to say, we don't know what to do here, but you people who are in the industry or who know about it, you tell us what to do. And wait a second, wait a second. You, do you mean <laughs> to tell me politicians have admitted to not knowing what to do? Yeah. I, Surprise. That's got to be a first time. I, I'm not sure I've ever heard of that before. It's phenomenal. It's a cannabis miracle. 
it, it's a miracle. It's like, it's almost like they actually for once are listening um, because it's a big deal. They've seen other states do it wrong, right? And and that's why I think New Jersey took so long to actually go, go ahead with this. Um, they want to take their time. They want to do it the right way. And the, the thing I'm most excited about, if they, in the last proposed bill, they had consumption lounges in there. Um, and I, and I know for medical, they're allowing consumption spaces. None of the dispensaries have it yet. It's a process. Obviously, you have to have a, you know, a plan, get it local approval, et cetera, and the build out. But I'm looking forward to the future in New Jersey for what um, the adult use market will be as far as um, hotels, you know, bud lounges, restaurants. Like, are we going to be, are we really going to follow like Colorado's footstep and then take it a step further? Like how, you know, how much of a risk is the state willing to take with drafting these regulations? I hope they're gonna be a little bit more liberal so we can truly see an adult use market like flourish because not only do patients need a place to consume, people need a place to consume, right? It's not legal to just spark up outside. Um, so we right. need to create a place. And, and I think that's, that's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anywhere that was quick to roll out consumption lounges and you know yeah. given the covid pandemic state of the world i feel like you know that's just even more reason to to delay that but you know my my fear on the flip side my fear with new jersey and i hope that this doesn't happen is you know if, when i look at the east coast most of these states have been really slow to actually get up and running and, you know, you mentioned earlier how it's already hard to supply the demand just for the, the relatively small medical patient community. And when I say relatively small, I mean relative to what adult use will bring. Because as we know from other states that have gone adult use, you know, there's people that won't try it. And, and you know, first timers and, you know, the... I don't know, cannabis virgins who who won't try it until it's legal because they're such law abiding citizens that, you know, they won't they won't go and do it. So, you know, I think there's going to be much more demand. And the question is, how will New Jersey get up and running and filling that demand? So it's it's definitely I think they're trying to do a better job with the patients. Um, you know, although there's the existing 12 dispensaries that are currently operating, Governor Murphy gave them the green light last year to have three satellite locations each. So Garden State Dispensary, which was only in Woodbridge, now has a satellite location in Union. Um, there's a few other satellite locations that have popped open in the state as well. So now, you know, we have more facilities that are operating. So we're gonna have more product available and Hopefully, if we get the um, last round's RFA resolved soon, that's 15 dispensaries and four vertically integrated licenses, which, you know, are a year, I guess, because you're talking build out and everything. But we know that that will happen. And I'm just hoping that with the satellite locations and the additional medical facilities coming, we'll, they'll be able to at least take care of the patients. That's, that's the primary focus. And then, you know, somehow manage the adult use phenomenon because it's going to be the cravings are going to be there and um it, and that's why i think they're taking they're not going to rush this 
I don't think like I think a lot of people expect mm. hey, adult uses here like let's go no it's lame duck season one so really no votes happening um, so if anything you'll see January 2021 when they're actually introducing legislation to be voted on uh, and, and then it's going to take time so I think it's just a stalling tactic right so that they do have enough product for the patients that are increasing and then actually the adult use consumers that are going to come on board mm. got it let me ask you kind of on a different note okay. in terms of social equity in terms of access for what i'll call the mom and pop small business entrepreneurs which i believe are the backbone of america what does new jersey have in store opportunity wise for for those groups or is that to be determined so hopefully it was definitely to be determined because again, the rules and regulations are to be shaped. But if we're going on the older versions that were introduced, um, there was micro licenses and conditional licenses that were included. And so the micro licenses, you know, they have caps on the retail size for your dispensary, on your cannabis size for your, for your cultivation. Um, they also have income requirements. So you can only be making a certain amount of income per year to even qualify for these micro licenses, residency requirements. And then they're, they're supposed to create the Office of Women, Minority and Veteran uh, Support for cannabis licenses to make sure that these micro licenses actually get awarded in a fair manner to the appropriate uh, entities. And I don't like to say set aside, but there's hopefully going to be a set aside for a percentage of licenses to be awarded to women-owned businesses, you know, minority-owned businesses and veteran-owned businesses. So my goal is that there'll, there'll just be this carve out that, you know, X percentage of licenses have to go to these people that meet these criteria. Um, it's not gonna be a lottery. It's definitely gonna be an application, but it'll just be different requirements because you're, you know, you're operating under a micro license, conditional permit. So. I don't know how they're going to shape those, but I do know that that's probably going to be built in because they've already spoke about it. And social equity has been one of the largest, you know, talking points in getting this done in the first place. And so I, and New Jersey's diverse, right? They want to hopefully do the right thing. ACLU New Jersey has been really proactive in this. So that, that whole social justice equity background has been here for years. And so I hope that it'll be built into the regulations. Yeah, certainly. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, I had Leo Bridgewater on last week and he was talking about the tax rates. And if I remember correctly, he was saying that, you know, New Jersey is actually going to be very reasonable, yes. which I think makes a lot of sense given that, you know, if, obviously if you tax too high, people will just stay in the underground market and you won't get that tax revenue that our governors and governments crave so desperately. So uh, can you just speak to that for a minute of what, you know, what, what, what is the expectation there? Yeah, I think I agree with Leo. You know, I, that was another point of contention was the tax rate that that's why the senator is the assemblyman. They couldn't agree on what the percentages should be at, you know, was it going to be 22%? Was it going to be 10%? Um, I think New Jersey is going to be reasonable. I'm hoping 
because they know there's a there's a loud and strong black market in New Jersey in order to take away from that and to entice people to actually purchase legally, it has to be reasonable, right? Just like what they're doing with the medical cannabis, they're phasing out the sales tax because medicine shouldn't be taxed, right? You don't go to a pharmacy and pay the tax on your you know, medications. And so I think by 2022, there will be no more sales tax on medical cannabis, which is great. But I think it says something about the state that they're trying to do the right thing, even though it's taking them time. I think with the adult use, they're going to be reasonable because they understand when you tax it at a ridiculous amount, you're just not going to see um, the numbers that you want to see. You know, I mean, of course, the government wants revenue, but if you have less volume, you're not going to see the revenue, even if you have a high tax rate. Right. So I'm hoping I'm going to predict around 15%. And that's just my opinion. All right. Okay. Um, so let me ask you, what advice do you have for people who want to get into the industry in New Jersey and specifically if the advice is different for women or people of color or people of difference, uh, or people who don't really have a background in cannabis. So I know it's a couple of parts to that question, but you know, what, what thoughts or advice do you have for those folks? Um, I, I would say generally for anybody who's interested in being involved in cannabis, you have to network. Network is, networking is key um, because there's so many people who are already involved in the industry on a national level, but also globally. And the people that I've met in the industry for the most part, aside from the sharks, because there are sharks out there, so be careful. Um, but people are friendly. They're, they're willing to at least have a conversation. So I encourage people to put yourself out there, just network and learn what other people have to say, see what other people are doing, how they're operating, educate yourself, you know, read articles, watch videos, do everything and anything you can to, to just get educated, to meet people and figure out your skill set. figure out what makes you valuable, what is it that you bring to the table? Because everybody is unique and everybody has a selling proposition. So, you know, especially for women and people of color, you know, th this whole industry was built off of our backs. <laughs> no offense, Mike, <laughs> but, you know, I, I haven't seen a dealer that, you know, doesn't look, you know, kind of like non-Caucasian, right? Everybody is non-Caucasian for the most part uh, in the illicit market. And so it's kind of like, People get um, insecure, I think, when you see the industries that are forming when they are 99% male dominated, you know, white male dominated. And so they think, well, I don't have what it takes. I don't have that background. I'm not a financial guy. I'm not, you know, X, Y, Z. But they forget, well, you have street knowledge or you might have some other skill set that you can build upon. And so I just encourage people to network, educate yourself and learn what is it about you that makes you special because everybody has something to offer. Got it. So I'm hearing bring your unique skills to the industry. And I agree that, uh, you know, the point before that was really get educated. And so I'm going to take this opportunity to plug my book, the cannabis business book available now on amazon.com. A yep. great way to get educated because I've interviewed 50 industry insiders and asked them, how do you succeed in weed? What does it take? And, you know, the number one mistake I've seen people make when getting into this industry is 
not doing enough homework, not being prepared and just kind of jumping in without really knowing what they're getting themselves into. And that's just a recipe for disaster, especially in this industry. Yeah, I spent almost three years um, educating myself before I even felt, okay, now I'm valuable enough to go and apply and be on a team for a license because now I have um, I have some sort of expertise. Nobody's an expert, but at least I feel confident now. And I know what my value is and here's what I can bring to the table. But I took the time and I think people are so quick to rush licenses are not cheap they're very expensive uh even starting your own business it's a lot of time and effort anything you want to do in life is going to take time and effort and so you want to do it right take the time to do it right the slow and steady really wins the race and and i think that stands in cannabis especially because we've seen so many companies get public and then have to say hey we need more money it's like really you're doing another 400 million dollar raise like one interesting like where, where it's like all the other money go and so just because you see high volume transactions and M&As and all these things going on, it sounds really like sexy and like, you know, like, wow. It's like, you have to take a step back and actually see what's happening with those companies. Are they really profitable? Um, you know, and so educate yourself, learn about what's happening in the industry, learn about the trends and just stay on top of it because somebody's already always waiting to take the spot. Absolutely. And it goes back to that point we, we covered earlier about you have to go beyond the headlines and you have to really kind of dive in and do the, the research, do the diligence and to understand what's going on. And it's funny, it reminds me of, I have a, a friend and mentor who is a certified OG okay. and who, you know, in the seventies and eighties was moving pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds of cannabis, just ridiculous and when when i wrote my recent book he he said wait a second you you found 50 people who made money in legal cannabis i can't believe it and it, you know i thought it was so funny but no it's true because when you look at some of these publicly traded companies especially sure they've raised millions of dollars sure they've gone public and sure they get a lot of press coverage or whatnot but when you actually look into the numbers, it's like they're losing so much money exactly. that it's like, you know, if they weren't cannabis businesses, they would have been shut down months ago, years ago, maybe even. Yeah. So. And your reports are available, uh, sorry, available online. Right. And so everything's transparent, um, still federally legal. So these companies go through really stringent, you know, regulations and processing to make sure all their records are audit ready and accessible. So, you know, anybody who's interested, just look up, go on SEC website and look up the company you're interested in and actually see how they're performing. See what the data actually says for yourself and then take an educated guess because, you know, I always have people asking me like, what stock should I invest in? Like, I get that question asked so frequently that it's like, I can't really give you my opinion because you, you're not going to want to hear my opinion, which is fine. <laughs> right. That's, that's, you know, I used to joke, I was like, well, first of all, if you're asking me this question, you shouldn't invest in any of them. <laughs> or sometimes I would go, well, how much money do you want to lose? Right. <laughs> you know, and of course, some of the, you know, uh, let me be fair. Is it possible to make money on weed stocks? Of course. You know, what I recommend anyone who's not like a professional day trader, professional investor, 
or full-time in the cannabis industry to invest in weed stocks? No, I would not because it's so volatile. It's so risky. And, you know, there's so much uncertainty and I don't want to say fraud out there, but there's a lot of BS. I'll say that. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Shrali, what haven't I asked you that I should ask you or what haven't we covered or talked about that that is worth mentioning before we shift into the coaching portion? So I guess just, I wanna leave people with one thing, um, being a woman, being a woman, <laughs> being a woman, uh, representing women, maybe I'll say that, representing women, representing my South Asian community, people of color, being a native of New Jersey, I just want to say that my experience has been very challenging and I would hope to, to, you know, to be able to help others succeed in the industry that people come to me and use me as a resource so that I can navigate you and, and prevent you from making mistakes that I've seen happen and, and also, you know, educate you and enlighten you about the politics in New Jersey because there's politics involved in the cannabis industry very heavily. Um, New Jersey is a pharma capital, probably, of the United States. And so we have a lot of lobbyists putting in a lot of money uh, to get things going their way. And so understanding the politics of New Jersey, um, navigating people, uh, being able to distinguish the good from the bad, because there's a lot of people out there, especially in cannabis, who you know can talk your ears off and legacy growers and everybody has the best strain and everybody has the best products. Um, you really need to decipher what's real out there. And so I just want people to know, you, you know, take your time with this, really learn about what you're getting yourself into. Take, take the time to meet people, to educate yourself. Um, use me, Mike Z, anybody else that you know in cannabis as a resource, because we're happy to help. I want to see people succeed. Um, and that's why I'm here. So, you know, we've covered a lot. I don't want to keep talking. <laughs> Speak for yourself. They can't, I don't, I don't want them to use me. Leave me alone, everyone. No, I'm just kidding, of course. Hit me up. <laughs> and actually, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to plug the webinar we're doing next week, all about New Jersey, uh, the future of New Jersey cannabis, where you, Leo Bridgewater, and Dr. David Kunick will be discussing the future of New Jersey and what people need to know. And I, I might have another guest or two up my sleeve. Please. So st stay tuned. We might have even more fun at the party. And I'll, I'll put that link in the chat for the folks on Twitch, just in case. And okay. I'll, oh. I'll save that day to talk about, you know, just other opportunities. Because I know we talked a lot about licensing, obviously for dispensaries, cultivation and all that. But I, I think there's going to be a huge boom in ancillary markets. Delivery oh, yes. is number one. And so I just feel like there's room for everybody. It's like being a part of the internet. Like now it's like cannabis is next. Like so many different options and it doesn't just have to be one way. And so enlightening yourself through education on how you can participate. And that's why I say take the time to figure out your unique value set because you really can fit in. It's just about finding you know, the right spot. Absolutely. And I, I love that comparison. I say that in the book that this is the legalization, the re-legalization of cannabis is like the birth of the internet as far as the opportunity set for entrepreneurship. And there was one other thing. 
Oh, yes, that, you know, just to echo again, and this is something Leo loves to say, like, this is only going to happen once, you know, the end of prohibition, adult use in New Jersey, this is history in the making, it's happening right now, you know, we're off to the races, like, it's as real as it gets right now, so, you know, yes, get educated, yes, take a long-term approach and and don't rush into anything. And at the same time, appreciate that this is a very unique once in a lifetime opportunity and the window will close. Absolutely. You know, once once the laws are passed and the legislation's written and you know the regulations are in place and the licenses are awarded, so on and so forth, none of that is ever gonna get undone. And it's very hard to you know, make significant changes to the program once, once it's in motion. So I cannot stress enough, if this is something that's important to you, if you're a New Jersey citizen, resident, uh, get involved. Now is the time, like, officially, officially, you know, a few years ago would have been great, but like, no time like now. And and just also really quickly, I, Anybody who is hoping to get involved, you have to be thinking about federal legalization. You know, put, put that in the back of your head. Like, what will your plan look like when federal legalization happens? Because it will happen. It's not an if. And things will change. We have big players in alcohol and tobacco that are waiting to pounce. You know, they, they have plans. And so prepare as much as you can now. You know, the opportunity is now, but it's preparation for everything, right? Just don't dive in blindly. Yep. And speaking of federal legalization, I just pulled up over here the election results coming in. It looks like Michigan and Wisconsin are both being called for Biden. He's six votes away and he's leading in Nevada, which would be those final six votes. So, you know, who knows what may happen if we get a Democratic president? You know, legalization might be closer than ever. And you know what, actually, I'm going to say regardless of who wins, it is closer than ever, because we just got a bunch of new states that went. And yep. one, one thing that was very, very clear from election night in America is that cannabis has overwhelming support Absolutely. all over the country. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. No, definitely not. It's here to stay. Yep. All right. So let's shift gears into the coaching portion, I'm gonna go ahead and, and stretch, you know, get ready to, to do what I like to do, okay. which is do some coaching. So Shrali, I'm going to ask you, what is your biggest business buzzkill or challenge right now? Okay, so believe it or not, I've actually been off of social media for almost two and a half years now. So. My biggest challenge is marketing, Um, marketing as far as, you know, marketing and branding both. Like, how do I navigate, like, in two and a half years, technology changed, social media changed. Um, But social media has become one of the top contenders for marketing, not only yourself, but your brands, you know, businesses. And so that's been a challenge for me. Like, what's the right way to launch on social media? to be sustainable 
as a cannabis advocate and, you know, hopefully an, on, an executive in the industry moving forward and all dealing with the fact that it being federally illegal, if I post certain things, like, will my account get blocked or will it get shut down? Because I know plenty, you know, it's happened to plenty of people who have Instagrams and, you know, they're just putting up flower pictures and all of a sudden their profile is taken down now. So now that work is gone and all those followers are gone. Like, what's a solid plan on how to launch the social media and just in general? Like, that's, that's something that I, you know, is, is still foreign to me. Got it. So how to launch and market, engage on social media to grow your business and especially in cannabis where it's extra challenging and there's all these, in my judgment, ridiculous restrictions. Um, You know, I'll, I'll share that I've been banned from advertising on Facebook for years And, you know, I was like advertising events or promoting a post of an article that I wrote. So like, you know, they're just categorically anti-cannabis and they will be until federal legalization or federal policy change. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) I'm tempted to give you an answer which is not my normal coaching approach, but you know, instead of like trying to dance around the subject and try to like lead you with questions, you know, I don't, I don't want this to turn into a deposition. So <laughs> I know you have enough of those, right? <laughs> um, why not just hire someone to do that or, or bring in a teammate that just loves social media so that, you know, to your point, stick to whatever it is that your unique value prop is or whatever your strength is, you know, just play to that, focus on that and have someone else do the stuff that you're not as well versed in or not as interested in. I thought about that. And then my struggle was finding the right person. You know, someone can be great at social media, but are you good at marketing social media and cannabis specifically? Like, are you going to get what I'm trying to look for? Like, I guess, so finding the right person that understands my vision for how I want to launch myself, like my, my comeback, my rebranding, you know, like, cause it's, it's not going to be my personal account anymore. It'll be like me in the cannabis space. And so I want to know, like, how do I find the right person? And I've tried, I like, you know, I put like on freelance websites, for example, maybe that's not the best way, like fiverr.com. Like I've tried to look for somebody you know, in the space, but I just haven't really connected. And definitely because of COVID, I feed off of meeting people. I want to feel people's energy. Like I, I really believe in that. And so I can understand like, can I work with this person? And I need somebody, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. I'm very organized. So I need, I don't want to, I have time, my time is limited. So it's like, how do I find somebody who knows what I want and can do it without me telling them what I need? It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's, that's tricky because, you know, you bring up a couple of different, uh, I don't want to say issues. I want to say a couple of different uh, questions, different couple of different questions, which is one, how do you find good people? 
And especially in cannabis, I can tell you that is tricky. <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. I have one of the, one of the people on Twitch says, I'm a social media manager and I would hella come work for you if I could, but I'm limiting my work right now. <laughs> and, I'm hiring. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I will, I'm happy to make that connection, Aggie. So hit me up offline and we can facilitate. That's easy. And she's great at what she does. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, so that, that's funny. That's so funny. Um, thanks, social media. You find that person on social media. That's why I know I need to be involved. It's just like somebody help me navigate it and do it for me so that I can focus on other things while also having a present. Okay. okay. Um, I hear that. And I think what I, what I would what I would ask for you to think about is like, what is the goal, right? Because when you, to have anyone else do it for you, you really have to know and be very specific about what it is you're asking of them, you know, and, and, and how are you going to measure the results and know that they're doing a good job, you know, because I, I heard you say you're a perfectionist, which is, you know, that's, I'm not, we'll leave that for another day, but, you know, it, sometimes it, it's a matter of trial and error and you can't get around that. And you, you have to, you know, just like dating, finding the right business partner or colleague or employee or whatever, you know, sometimes you got to get it wrong a few times before you get it right, at least in my experience. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> What's your sun sign? Asks Aggie Panda on Twitch. Virgo. <laughs> so we'll we'll see. We'll see if she's <laughs> she said knew it. That's that's hilarious. Virgos are like that, yeah. This is so funny. Um anyway, you see that you know, social media, you know, I, I wonder let, let me go in a different direction actually, because I wonder. Well, you asked me about like the goal, right? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, the goal is finding other like-minded individuals. I know that what I want to accomplish in life requires a team. I can't mm -hmm. do it alone. I appreciate everybody's, you know, what they bring to the table. And so it's kind of like, how can I get on social media, do my advocacy, help educate other people, empower them to participate, and also meet other people that I can connect and collaborate with. Like ultimately, the goal is to have proper conversation and meaningful engaging conversation that actually leads to some action you know like not just sitting like I, I and not to say it in a negative way but I don't want to just be on social media just to be there I want to be there so that something will actually happen for me being on it and so how do you make sure that something actually happens and what might be that outcome I guess like more entrepreneurs like hitting you know the road like just empowering other women, other people of color, other people who doubted themselves, South Asians, you know, I'm, I'm going to need women. Like cannabis was like a no, no. So how do I, how do I find those kind of people and tell them like, Hey, you can be a part of this. Like, let me, let me connect you. Let me, let me tell you how you can start your own business and how you can do this. So, you know, and another thing that I do is, is also helping people navigate on how to start your own business. And so 
I do, I'm just trying to provide, I want to take the information that's here and, and provide it to people so they can take it and then be productive in society or just to find like a, like a, a space where I can talk about my love for the plant, my South Asian background and, and kind of tie it all into something because I don't see that many South Asian women really speaking loudly. Um, you know, Shalene Title, of course, from Massachusetts as a commissioner, um, but, you know, just more globally, nationally, because obviously social media is not just limited to one geographic location. So finding like that higher collective that exists and, and just collaborating on, I don't know, better and bigger ideas. Got it. So I'm hearing, you know, finding, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but finding and representing for your tribe and also being a source of inspiration and and education and empowerment for others who either want to get into the business or start businesses, whether it's in cannabis or beyond, um, and using social media to do that. Is that right? Yes. Well, I have to say, and you know, I have some some more context because I know some of the stuff you're working on. Um, you know, I feel like you're doing it. I, I would argue you're doing it right now you know you're going to be doing it next week on the webinar with with me and and some of our friends and so here's my 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 question that's really coming to me is what's in the way what's the blocker what's preventing you from being active on social media in the way that you believe you need to be or that you think you want to be I think it just stems back to the initial reason on why I took myself off of social media two and a half years ago. It was seeing people almost pretend to be people that they weren't. And it, and it hurt me inside. I'm an empath. I care about people. And I see that. I just saw so many insecurities. Like in the back of my mind, I'm like, people are insecure. People are being misunderstood. Like, how do I like break that? Like, you know, how do I bring them back to like reality almost? And so I'm struggling with a way to, to be genuine, um, to, to not lose myself as I get on. And like, I want to stay stable because I know what happens when you get in social media. It's like, keep scrolling, keep liking. And it's like, it's addictive. I don't want to get, I don't want to get to that point. Um, and I don't know how to come off in a way where, um, I don't know, like, I guess it was like that, that the whole reason why I got off, you know, is kind of what's preventing me from really restarting it because I don't want to have that personal page or the personal, you know, image anymore. I want it to be more professional or, or just about cannabis, actually, just cannabis. And so my struggle is like, how do I come across as genuine, as someone that's truly doing this to help people uh, not for like the likes? Got it. So I'm hearing that it's really important for you to one, be genuine, be authentic, to provide value and help people and three not get lost in the sauce or or caught up in all of the nonsense and negativity and and superficiality and all, all the other uh toxic and addictive parts of social media yes so what do you think the answer might be I think having somebody else manage it for me. <laughs> I need to hire somebody. 
to manage my social media for me. And then, and then that could take out, you know, my, my mental health aspect of it. Um, I definitely have a stronger hold on my emotions now. I've been meditating a lot recently. And so I feel comfortable with that. I think, I think I would just have to be removed from that aspect of it. I want to, I want somebody who's, who knows what they're doing, who I can trust to put the content out there in the way that I need it. Because like I said, my time can be spelt, spent elsewhere, helping people get off the ground versus building content. And, and I don't have the expertise in that, you know, and I'm not going to pretend I tried. It didn't look that great. My brother laughed at me. And so I was like, great. Uh, he's 24 and he doesn't like this. So uh, I think I need someone else to help me. You know, so you know, I'm not going to pretend on what I don't know. I think I need somebody to, to help me with that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to offer you another option. <laughs> Aggie's so funny. She said, or they said, such a brother thing, rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's really funny. Um, I'm going to offer you another option. I'm not saying this is the answer by any means. I don't, you know, I'm just, just kind of brainstorming and spitballing. And I think the difference or what might make a big difference rather than, you know, kind of the approach you took before quitting is really having a very firm intention and and having very strict boundaries about using social media. And so what I mean by that is, you know, not just like, like creating rules or structure for yourself so that, you know, if, if the social media is purely for advocacy or for business development, yeah. you know, then it's purely for that and creating rules of engagement of, okay, I'm only going to do, I don't know, 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day or twice a day or, or whatever, or in between meetings or, you know, kind of carving out time that is very limited and also very, uh, again, I'm going to say intentional of, you know, is this to connect with people? Is this to share something informative? Is this to, you know, to, to have fun? Is this, you know, and, and not kind of getting sucked into it because I think it's so easy to, you know, end up on Instagram. And then before you know it, you're like, what did I open my phone for? What's going on? You know? Um, that is and, helpful though, because you just said to like set the boundaries and like, I think that's the key right there. Like to know the intention is for advocacy and development and just no personal life whatsoever, basically, <laughs> unless it's to the cause. Right, right. And I think, um, you know, maybe there's a mindset shift of how you think about social media. Right. Because I, I think I'll speak for myself. I, I, I feel like we're told I'm told that social media is like a healthy, normal, good thing. And we're supposed to use it and that it's to be social. And, you know, and if you're not social, you're antisocial or something's wrong with you. And if you're not on social media, you're like, you know, a misanthrope or something. 
And I, I think what, what I've learned is that, or what I've, what I've seen in my life is like, you know, when I was younger, social media was social and it was fun. Right. And like, I actually used to keep in touch with people on Facebook <laughs> and like share personal stuff. And, you know, I, I, I think it hasn't been that for years. I think, you know, most people are using platforms by and large, other than Twitch, which Twitch is great, obviously. But, you know, a lot of people use these platforms for what I'll call not so productive reasons. That being said, when it comes to business and marketing, you know, this is an important tool in the tool belt, especially in cannabis, where we don't have access to more traditional forms of media. And, you know, and, and the fact is, you know, cannabis is international. So there's, through social media, it's, it's possible to connect with people all over the world who are, who are interested or passionate about these topics and looking for information and support right. in some of these topics. So, you know, I think it, it's, you know, that's my long-winded way of saying that uh, you know, <laughs> view it as a tool, view it as like, you know, almost as a chore. <laughs> that's how I view social media. I shouldn't admit that, but that's the truth. But, yeah. you know, but it's powerful because every day, you know, I, I put an Instagram post on, I sell some books. Right. I, you know, I, I sent an email today, which I consider maybe social media email. I don't know, probably borderline, probably not. But, you know, I send an email, I do some social media posts and people sign up for the webinar. So, right. you know, there's certainly opportunity there. And, you know, it's kind of like the old adage of you have to meet people where they are. Yes. You know, people are on social media. Everyone's addicted to social media. So, you know. Well aware. Well aware. So <laughs> that's, that's why I'm, I'm telling you because that's the one thing where I needed to, you know, kind of get back on track. Um, I know I need to be on it. So I should have been on it months ago when all the advocacy really kicked off in New Jersey, you know, with the legalization push. But I was doing it on LinkedIn. You know, I was posting there. At least my network was sharing, you know, was getting my feedback and things like that. But I know that I'm at the point now where I really have to like launch and I need to take it to social media so that I can just share information. Right. Cause that's powerful. And that's why I know like it has to happen. I just want to plan for it a little better, but I feel like the more planning that I do, it's just delaying. And so instead it's kind of like, I'm going to ask the universe to send me somebody that I need that then knows exactly what I'm looking for to help me build my social media brand because I'm ready. You hear that, Aggie, on Twitch? You hear that? That's, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Ray Solo, also on Twitch, says, plan for success. We got to plan for success. So in that spirit, I'm going to channel Ray Solo, one of my favorite DJs in the whole wide world and Twitch universe. And I want to ask you, what does success look like? you know, a year out or two years out or whenever it may be when, you know, from a social media marketing standpoint, what, what would success look like a year from now if we were talking and you were like, hey, Mike, remember that time I was saying 
you know, I wanted to get back on social media and, you know, I, I ended up doing it and this is what happened, this, this, and this. So what, what would that sound like? It would definitely be getting my support in my motherland in India, seeing a large amount of Indians who are living there actually following me, actually supporting me, being able to have a voice over there to help shape their industry because India needs to do it and nobody's doing it there. So that success for me to be able to use the platform to, to bring it back home to the motherland and to get their support. Um, that's what I really feel like I'll be successful. It'll happen, um, but I need to start. <laughs> yes, I love that. And you know, the reason I wanted you to, to vocalize that, to say that is because I'm, I'm hoping that with that vision, with that plan out there, you're going to be more inspired to, to just go and start and just get moving on it. And, you know, um, I appreciate that because I do feel a little bit more empowered now because it makes me, it, it, it feels good to remind yourself like why you're doing this, you know, and ultimately it's to break the stereotypes back home for women, for people of color everywhere and just empowering people. And so I know I need to put myself out there um, and I've been waiting for far too long. So I'm ready. I'm really uh, glad that we did this. <laughs> awesome. And I, I see the the joy and excitement on your face, just even thinking about it and talking about it. And, you know, I think it's funny. One of my first coach told me back in the day, you know, to, for people to change, there has to be either big enough pain or big enough vision for why they're going to have to make a difference or do something differently. And, you know, as I'm using my, my, this is my coaching meta commentary now, <laughs> which is, you know, I don't, I didn't see the pain. And so if I, if I would have seen the pain, I would have maybe amplified the pain and, and poked, poked at the wound a little until you would have been like, Ooh, I gotta, I gotta get some treatment there. But instead, you know, knowing that you're an ambitious young lady who wants to you know, have big impact in this industry and in this world, I figured, let's figure out what that vision is. Well, let's tap into that vision that's going to inspire and pull you forward, pull you forward through the drudgery, the cesspool that is social media marketing, barf, yeah. social media marketing. I hate it. Unnecessary evil though. And, and so I, I feel like having clarity on that vision because like, even when I hear you say that, I'm like, oh shit, like, that's what's <laughs> up. You know, I like, I want you to do that, you know? So now I'm gonna, you just signed yourself up to have me annoy you and, and hit you up in like two weeks and be like, you talking to Indians in India or what? <laughs> and like you mentioned the pain, right? It's no pain, no gain. Like I, I the pain of losing my friends and my loved ones is what fuels me every day, right? Because I know I have my angels looking every day and now I have to answer to them. Like, did I make you proud? Did I move one step closer to what had to happen? Um, because my friend Harris, rest in peace, he was the one when I was 19 who told me like, you need to be the president. Like you need to legalize bud. And I was like, dude, like we're just 19. We're, we're not, we're just talking. And last year, two years, wow. It's been two years in August. Um, he passed off of, a, a, it was fentanyl actually on the streets. Um, don't want to get into that, but 
I'm going to make sure that his death never goes in vain, you know, that he didn't just go as a statistic. He was passionate. He was a patient. He cared about legalization. Um, so every day in the back of my mind is him, my aunt, who I lost to cancer, my uncles who I've lost, like I do it for them and I do it for the collective greater good. I don't know how much time I have here, but I'm going to make sure that every second that I have left is going to be worth it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. I want to ask you the final question and then I'll let you go, which is because you've got work to do, <laughs> which is what is your biggest takeaway from our conversation here? Or, or I'll give you an option. Or what is one thing that you'll do differently going forward after this conversation? Oh, well, definitely the social media takeaway. You know, I think I'm going to approach it differently with setting the boundaries. But I think it's this whole conversation just solidifies how if you work hard, everything you want will come to fruition. Just be patient. Because I met you in January of 2016. And back then I was doing nothing, just educating myself, learning. Fast forward four years later, almost five years this January, I'm sitting here doing a podcast with you talking about the industry on how I put in an application on how I want to help people and making dreams come true. New Jersey just legalized it last year. Like I'm living in a cloud right now and I know anything and everything is possible. And so this conversation just solidifies that. Um, I'm just powering up, <laughs> ready to go. Imagine the conversation we will be having four or five years from now when, you know, what we might very well be talking about the international trade and the international industry and all, all, all that stuff, you know, it's all of that stuff lies ahead. I don't know when and how soon and what role we'll play in that, but you know, that's what lies ahead. <laughs> the, the, the folks on Twitch say we support you and we want you to win to, for oh. you, not me. They don't care about me. They said, tell, tell Shirali. No, no, I'm chopped liver. That's fine. <laughs> I love everybody. I appreciate the support. Hopefully I can meet them one day. <laughs> yeah, I hope so as well. I hope one day post COVID world will all engage in one of those timeless age old cannabis rituals. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Shirali, thank you so very much for joining me on the Cannabis Business Coach podcast today. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I'm looking forward to, um, to our webinar next week, the future of New Jersey cannabis. And I'm excited. We're gonna, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of, of unknown ahead of us. But what I do know is that this industry is only getting bigger. And so, you know, for, for anyone out there, you know, if you can just ride that wave and stay on the surfboard and find your, find your swim lane and whatever other water metaphors I, I can figure out, um, it's going to grow. It's The tide is going to swell. The industry is evolving. Like you said, the time is now. Um, I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to our webinar next week to talk even more about the future of New Jersey. And if you could just share my email, it's my first name, letter P at Gmail. Even have my cell phone, um, you know, 732 853 5336. Call me, email me. I'm available as a resource. 
soon I'll be on social media. So come find me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm here to help you, to, to encourage you to participate. There's plenty to go around. And I appreciate everyone who took the time to actually listen to this. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Shrali. And just so you know, Aggie Panda from Twitch is going to reach out to you about the Perfect. social media stuff because they were very inspired by by what you shared today. And I'm pretty sure they're very solid at the social media marketing, at least from what I've seen them do on Twitch. Um, you know, I, I don't know the, the extent of the resume, but I am confident that they don't suck. Looking forward to that. Awesome. All right. Have a great rest of your evening. Everyone on Twitch, thank you for joining us and tune in next time, whenever the hell that might be, probably a week from today. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.